Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning, North family. How are you this morning? It's good to see you. Good to see you. If you're a guest, uh, welcome to North today. My name is Chad and have the joy of being lead pastor here at North Bible Church. And if you're a guest, we look forward to getting a chance to meet you and connect with you in person. Uh, just so you know, I am wearing this shirt on behalf of the Miami Guy Luau. Uh, was not able to make it on Thursday night, but uh, just wanted to honor those who on the team put that event together and those who came. So I'm, I'm repping the Me and My Guy Luau a little bit this morning. Also, I want to double down on what we're doing after service. Uh, you know, my wife and I, our girls showed up here just shy of 10 months ago, and a lot's been going on. And you guys, as a church family, you, you know, we have our worship services, we have, you know, the things that are very evident that you see, but there's a lot of things that you don't see that we've been working on or are going to be working on as a church. And so we're not going to take a lot of your time, but if you can just kind of put, you know, lunch just another 30, 45 minutes, um, and, and we're going to have that family meeting today, we're going to just share with you uh, some of what's been going on and some of the goals and dreams of what's going to be happening. And so it's a chance to really uh, lean into what I believe God has got going on for us for North Bible Church in the future. So I uh, really encourage you, if you are new, it's a great time to show up and kind of hear like what's North Bible about, what, what are we trying to do, and if you call North Bible home, I think it'll be an encouraging time to just realize what uh, opportunities and uh, goals and visions uh, that we're going to be sharing in the future. And uh, also just a reminder that we are in a season of fasting right now. Challenged you guys to a 40-day uh, fast. If you uh, are like, I didn't know about that, don't worry. You can jump in with us if you want. And basically what we have committed to do as a church, uh, those of you who've taken on the challenge, is to just fast for the next 40 days or basically leading up to Easter weekend. It might be the better way to put it moving forward. And um, our prayer target is just that people will come to faith in Christ through the ministry of North Bible Church. Now, that means we're hoping for that for Easter weekend. We're hoping for that for every weekend. But we're also hoping about that for your conversations in the community through the week. And uh, maybe in your life groups, that, that we start to see God open the doors uh, to people's hearts. And we see people come to faith in Christ as we pray and seek the Lord. And a lot of you are fasting just a meal a day or a meal a week or some other meal. We said that fast is between you and the Lord, however that looks. But uh, it is encouraging to see a bunch of you stepping into that. There's a lit box at the table. You might have seen it when you walked in uh, that just has all the commitment cards of those who fasted in it. And it's just kind of there as a reminder that we're fasting. And if you uh, want to join in, there's some fasting cards and pins around uh, the table. You can make a commitment and we'll throw your card in there too. But uh, just celebrate that uh, you guys are doing that. So just a little bit of housekeeping in a sense before we dive in. All right. Let's say uh, you have an unbelieving family member or friend or neighbor over your house, or maybe you're out to coffee, or maybe you're on the phone with this person who doesn't know the Lord yet, um, and, and maybe they're on the, uh, in a place in their spiritual journey where they're asking you, why do you believe the Bible? You know, A, do you believe in the Bible? Maybe you're talking about the Bible, you're talking about Scripture as a follower of Christ, and they're saying, do you really believe the Bible? You're like, yeah, 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 I do. And, and they were to say, why? Why do you believe the Bible? What answer would you give that individual? And uh, it's got to be better. It's got to be more robust than, well, just, you know, God said it, I believe it, then here we go. Or I feel like it's true, you know, or I was raised that way. Because those types of answers, although they may be authentic, uh, can be said by anybody of any faith at any time and based on their own religious writings. And so what kind of substance, especially if you have a person who's truly seeking or maybe they're dealing with skepticism, 
about the Bible, about God, about Jesus? What kind of substance can you give them as to why you actually believe in the Bible? Or maybe you're here today thinking, I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm that person on that spiritual journey. Um, I'm curious why I should believe in the Bible. Because this, this is the book you guys teach from. It's the book that you, you know, uh, anchor your lives to. So why, why should I believe the Bible? Well, last week we kicked off a six-week series called The Book on why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And here at North, we believe that the Bible is the divine, inspired, accurate, and unchanging Word of God uh, given by Him to provide us truth, authority, wisdom, and guidance in all matters of faith and life. And uh, this series that we're in right now hangs out on that topic of uh, bibliography, where we're talking about, or I should say, uh, bibliology, where we're talking about why we believe the Bible, how it came to be, and what it says about itself. And uh, what we're going to be doing over the next five weeks is I'm sharing with, with you a tool, a guide, that may help you, help all of us, be able to articulate and understand why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And the acronym that makes up this tool is the word SHAPE. And uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God because of, and each one of those letters in the SHAPE acronym stand for something. The supernatural evidence the historical evidence, the archaeological evidence, the prophetic evidence, and the eyewitness evidence. So that way, once you, when you get that shape kind of memorized, if you find yourself in the conversation, you can grab those letters, and hopefully you've done some study, or through the series or your own study, you'll find some substance to reinforce why you believe the Bible is the Word of God based on those uh, letters. And so each week over the next five weeks, we're taking a letter. So this morning, we're going to be talking about S. Why we believe the Bible based on its supernatural evidence. And the next week will be H for historical evidence and so forth. So that's where we're going. I want to pray, and then uh, we're going to enter our teaching time. Father, thank you so much for the goodness that you have shown us. Not just in creation, not just in provision, not just in the joy, the peace, the hope that you give us, but in the word that you've given us. Father, thank you that you have not left us to be blind and ignorant to walking in a way that will lead us to know you, love you, please you, glorify you. And so I thank you for your word. Father, today as we open your word, as we, as we um, really orbit around this understanding of why we believe your word, help all of us take a step forward in growth and maturity, open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to receive what you have for us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, this is our prayer and hope in the name of Jesus. We all said, amen. I want to start by... Uh, revisiting the text that we were in last week. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 2 Timothy 3.16. <clears throat> that was the verse that we started with last week. I just want to revisit that because it's such a good framework for understanding the Bible. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, uh, this is what we went over. This is what we're revisiting today. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, now, when we look at this passage, what we're looking at here, and this is what we talked about last week, is we unpacked what the Scripture is, what the Scripture does, and what the Scripture produces. And if uh, you weren't here, you can go back and watch or listen online. Now today, as we think about the supernatural evidence of the Bible, we come back to this claim from verse 16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. This makes the Bible a divine 
and supernatural book. We truly believe the Bible is the word of God based on that supernatural evidence. Now, first, let's make sure we're all on the same page when I say the word supernatural. Just a quick definition of that, our working definition today, will be that which is above or beyond natural law and order and beyond normal explanation. The Bible definitely fits that criteria. And so uh, I want to offer today five insights as to uh, why we believe the Bible is God's word based on the supernatural evidence, all right? First insight is this. Uh, the Bible has a supernatural source. Everyone acknowledges that the Bible is a special book, that it's a unique book, but it's far more than that. The Bible is special revelation from God. He's the source and he's the author of the Bible. Therefore, the Bible's from a divine and supernatural source. The very words of God flow through the pens of men as the Lord inspired and supervised the writing of his word. And the writers knew that it was God guiding them. Oftentimes God would tell them to write things down. Uh, as you read through the Bible, you'll see phrases like, you know, thus says the Lord, right? Or even the teachings of Jesus, I say unto you. Or God specifically told certain people, write this down. And so over and over again, the, the ones that God used to write his word knew it was the Lord guiding them. In 2 Peter 1, 20-21, the Apostle Peter says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is testifying to the fact that, man, this, this wasn't from our own head. These weren't our own thoughts. These weren't, this wasn't our imagination. God carried us through his Spirit supernaturally to pin what we pinned. And so the human authors were not making it up or just sharing their own opinions. They knew that God was the source. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse nine said, then the Lord put out his hand, he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So Jeremiah knew that this wasn't just his own bright ideas. These weren't just his own thoughts and opinions. These were the words of God coming out. You know, it's interesting, the, the, the power of us needing the word of God in our life. Even Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, right? When he, when, um, he went out and fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, uh, he was hungry, because that's what happens when you're fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, all right? And then we know that the devil came, Satan came, to tempt him to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the Bible, are those, the Bible is those very words, the, the words of God. And so they were supernaturally recorded through his own creation. For the benefit of his own creation, his word sustains our soul just as food sustains our body. Because it comes from a supernatural divine source. So because we're dealing with God's word, uh, we need to make sure that as we read it, we discern in reading and understanding what God has said. And so it's hard. Sometimes when we talk about the Bible coming from a divine source, I know this was true in my life over the years, uh, sometimes you look at the PG-13 or the rated R stuff in the Bible, and you go, man, I, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with brutal murders. 
I'm struggling with some of the evil that, that takes place. I'm struggling with some of uh, what I see in the pages of the Bible. And I just want to say, when we're reading the pages from a divine source, we have to use the discernment of knowing when something is recorded by God versus when something is endorsed by God. Just because it's recorded in the pages doesn't mean God's giving it a thumbs up. God's sharing what happened, right? We, we say it this way sometimes too, that there's, as you read through the Bible, there's the description and prescription. Some of what you read is described by God, this is what happened, versus prescribed by God, this is what I want you to do. And so uh, th- that helps a lot of people, you know, the Bible's a mystery, God's a mystery, he has not disclosed everything to us. So when we encounter tough stuff in scriptures, that's a great question. Is this being endorsed by God or just recorded by God? Is this descriptive or prescriptive? It helps us as we interact with the pages of a book that have a divine source. And so the Bible's God's way. Through recorded, though recorded through human language to reach us so that we may know him and and love him and experience his love and to have relationship with him. Uh, That's why he's given us his word. And, And he's done it in many ways over the years. In fact, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so as we think about God's word coming from a divine source, a supernatural source, in times past, we recognize that before the completion of scripture, God revealed his redemptive work through the prophets by means of dreams, visions, and visits, which they wrote down. And we have in the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament. And once the Son came and completed his rescue mission to redeem lost and broken humanity through the cross and through the resurrection, uh, he sends his Holy Spirit then to empower the church and being his hands and feet and mouth to reach the world in the name of Christ. And now through special revelation, we receive God's permanent and complete work made up of both the Old Testament and the New Testament in which we saw the Holy Spirit working through the hands and feet and the mouths of uh, the disciples and the early church leaders. And so this book is a supernatural book. It comes from a supernatural source, God himself. And so that's one insight. Second insight is this. The Bible has supernatural content. It's not just from a supernatural source, but it has supernatural content. Within the covers of the Bible, we see recorded events and teachings that relate to miracles and supernatural events that took place. I mean, we see some bizarre and supernatural happenings and images in the Bible. We see a divine creation of the universe and all life. We see miraculous stars that guide wise men, divinely triggered earthquakes and floods, the stopping of rivers, the parting of seas, the calming of storms. We see plagues. We see cosmological wonders. We see miraculous feedings of thousands. We see walking on water. We see a nation of people that wandered in a desert for 40 years, being fed supernaturally through manna and water as God's provision. We see water turned to wine. We see the blind regaining sight. We see the crippled walking. We see the dead being raised. We see angels. We see demons. We see visions. We see dreams. See, the Bible claims to be from God, supernatural in nature. Therefore, what God has done is he's provided miracles and supernatural events as his divine confirmation of the Bible's reliability. Like God did so much of those divine supernatural events and miracles to validate that these were his people, this was his word, this was his command, this was what 
uh, he was doing and what he wanted his people to do. And so we see miracles and we see supernatural actions. Now the men that God used to pen scripture not only claimed to be inspired by God, but God often confirmed the validity of their message through the miraculous acts he allowed them to do. And so we think about men like Moses and Elijah and Daniel and Jesus and the disciples and the apostle Paul. God validated his word through the miraculous actions of his servants. Now, other than God recording these events in Scripture, the hard part is we can't go back and prove. Right? We just can't go back and prove all the events that see in Scripture. But we still see echoes of and some historical evidence of some of those events captured. Uh, there's a man named Henry, uh, Harry Rimmer. He was a uh, pastor, author, researcher. Uh, he, he captures um, some research that he did on an event that we find in Joshua chapter 10, for example. In Joshua chapter 10, when you read that, and we read that back last summer, um, there's an incident there where Joshua, the man of God, is fighting, and they needed more time, and so literally God stopped the sun. That's what Scripture says. God stopped the sun, which means basically the world stopped spinning, in a sense, right? So that they had enough time to defeat the army. Now, it's easy to go like, ah, oh, that's myth. That's just, you know, that's just crazy. None of us were there to record it. But in Rimmer's research, he found we have indisputable evidence from the modern science of ethnology that such an event occurred as Joshua records. Briefly, we may summarize this section by saying that in the ancient Chinese writings, there's a legend of a long day. The Incas of Peru and the Aztecs of Mexico have a like record. There's a Babylonian and Persian legend of a day that was miraculously extended. Another section of China contributes an account of the day that was miraculously prolonged in the reign of Emperor Yao. Uh, Herodotus recounts the, um, that the priest of Egypt showed him their temple records and that there he read a strange account of a day that was twice the natural length. And so, you know, God, God does these miraculous events. We see these supernatural events, and we can't, you know, we don't have them all uh, where we can, we can find the evidence of them all, but God recorded them. And every now and then you'll see the echoes of those supernatural events. And if that's not enough, I'll give you one of the greatest weighted evidences of a miracle. We still have an empty tomb that was once occupied by Jesus for barely three days one of the greatest pieces of evidence. And so we have little glimpses of evidence, but at the end of the day, Scripture records the supernatural content because we believe in a God who does miracles. We believe in a God who operates outside of the natural. And so we're not surprised by the miraculous. In Psalm 77, 14, speaking of God, the writer says, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. In Deuteronomy 10, 21, it says, He is your praise, He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. And so when we look at the Bible, not only does it have a supernatural source, but it has supernatural content. Now, a skeptic might say, okay, so what? A supernatural source, debatable, we can debate that. Supernatural content, okay, the, the Bible you know, interprets the Bible. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But the next two insights are a little harder to shrug off and dismiss. The next insight's this. The Bible has supernatural unity. The very composition of the Bible is a miracle. The very composition of how the Bible came together is supernatural. God coordinated 
and created his perfect word. I know we've talked about this, but we don't want to lose sight of this. And as you're trying to think about the substance you would give yourself and the people you're talking to about why you believe, the supernatural unity of the Bible is a compelling case because you have over 40 different authors, right? Writers that God used living in different times over a 1,500-year period, which, by the way, is 16 centuries, 55 generations that the Bible spans. All with different backgrounds, different upbringings, different personalities, different circumstances, different cultures. You've got military leaders, fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, kings, scholars, peasants, prophets, priests, apostles. We've got rich, poor, white-collar, blue-collar, educated, uneducated. Just a, just a mix. All living on three different continents, spanning over 2,000 miles between Asia, Africa, and Europe. Writing from a variety of locations, cities, deserts, prisons, caves, hillsides, homes, palaces. Sometimes they were writing during the times of war. Sometimes they were writing during the times of peace. Sometimes they were writing during the times of prosperity. Sometimes they were writing during the times of poverty. And it was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. All writing on different genres, history, prophecy, poetry, law, narrative, personal letters, all touching on hundreds of controversial topics, the origin of life, the meaning of life, the afterlife, marriage, parenting, sexuality, obedience to authority, and moral living, yet all that comes together with unity and harmony. Like, that's not going to happen. We just can't make that happen in our human ingenuity. And so despite the span of time, the distance, the culture, the language, the fact that the writers, like most of them, never read, uh, met each other. Most of them never had access to the other's writing. And yet we have 66 books of unity with diversity, variety with consistency, and integrity. It is a supernatural phenomenon when we hold this book. It's crazy. It's mind-blowing. And what's more amazing is that all these books form one unified story. God's love and his plan to redeem and restore humanity back to himself through one hero in the entire story, his Messiah, Jesus Christ. So again, the Bible's not one book of many stories, but it's one story made up of many books. It's a library of books, all communicating a single narrative. All, three, all these verses weave together into one multi-layered, non-contradicting, unbreakable story spanning over 1,500 years, reverencing one another and all pointing to Jesus. And revealed in the Bible from cover to cover is an all-loving God who is about saving a sinful mankind through the sacrifice of one main character. And that main character is seen, revealed, or whispered about in every book. There's a central message and a central figure woven through the whole Bible, God's purpose for bringing you into relationship. Let me, let me share with you a cool visual that kind of talks about this, this touching of one another and the cross-referencing. Uh, the two pastors, Chris Harrison and Christoph Romhild, several years ago put together a digital data set of cross-references found in the Bible. So wherever a verse or a location or people or phrases were found in different parts of the Bible and referred back to the other, they found 63,779 cross-references. 
And they wanted to put that together in both a functional but beautiful visual capturing. And so they came up with this colored art here. Now it's hard to see. You can go online and look at this to type up, you know, Bible reference arc or whatever. But um, if you look carefully on the bottom, you'll see uh, the whole cross. That's the entire Bible on the bottom. And you'll see white, gray, white, gray, white, gray. Each change of shade is the book of the Bible. White, one book of the Bible, gray, another book of the Bible. White, gray, books of the Bible. And then all the lines going down are the verses in those books. And so that's why there's this one long line in the middle. If you look carefully, it's Psalm 119. It's got 176 verses. And then every time one of the verses touched, they, they arced it. And so like uh, if it was a small arc, like if it was the Gospels, like one account touched another account, you'll see like a little purple arc. And then all of a sudden they just kept arcing all 63,000 references. And that image is a great capturing of the supernatural reality that the Bible is this woven together, cross-referencing story. It's just a beautiful expression of that. Human ingenuity could not engineer something like the Bible, even in our best efforts. It had to be created and overseen by someone who was above it all, someone supernatural, someone like God. Now we know why Jesus said in John 10, 35, Scripture cannot be broken. And that whole concept of Scripture not being broken means it can't be undone or unloosed. It can't be explained away. It can't you know, be brought to mean nothing. It can't be emptied of its unified force. And so the Bible is this unbroken, supernaturally unified work. There's nothing like it, nor will there ever be anything like it in human history. The supernatural unity of the Bible, you can't dismiss it. It's compelling it's evidence to the Bible being God's word. Fourth insight is that the Bible has also been supernaturally preserved. There's a twofold understanding of the protection and preservation of Scripture. First is this the Bible has survived the elements. We know that the originals have, are gone. The originals were written down on, you know, parchment, papyrus, wood, stone, clay, all those kinds of, you know, that's what's been used by the by the writings of Scripture. And so the originals were written, and then the scribes dedicated their lives to transferring. Now imagine that being your life. Like you literally sit and just make copies all your life. Long before the printing press, long before the copy machine, your life, your job was to copy. And you just sat there copying. And every time you messed up, you had to do away with the whole thing and start over. Like this is the dedication of the scribes if you study uh, the, the life of a scribe. And so we have all these copies upon copies uh, with materials that cannot survive for thousands of years. Yet, with all the copies being made place, which we're going to talk more about next week with the historical evidence, and uh, combine that with the lack of good storage solutions in ancient times, it's a miracle that we have the Bible. And we know that we hold a good copy uh, translated from the original text, from the copies, from the copies, from the copies of the original. And so the Bible's been preserved through all the elements. We'll look more about that next week. But we see that God not only guided his writers, but guarded the writings. Like he, he guided the men that wrote, and then he guarded the writings that were written, preserved them through time, physically. In addition to that, no other book 
has been uh, more banned, burned, censored, or considered illegal than human history. No other book's been attacked throughout history like the Bible. Kings, emperors, religious leaders, government leaders, philosophers, educators around the world for centuries have banned and burned the Bibles as well as persecuted, imprisoned, and even executed people who had a Bible, wrote a Bible, translated a Bible, distributed a Bible. That, that'll take the motivation out of you pretty quick when you realize your life is on the line. But right out, and, and so when we look at, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but if we just take a quick summary of history, like right out of the gate, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Roman Empire destroyed so many writings of Scripture. And then you have this guy, Diocletian, who shows up in 303 AD. Diocletian um, banned and burned Bibles and said that if anyone ever was found in the possession of one, they could be executed. And then Diocletian made this claim. I have completely exterminated the Christian writings from the face of the earth. Man, he's a pretty strong guy, right? Except that's not true. In fact, right after him, Constantine gets in there, and Constantine took over as Roman emperor, and he actually used the resources of the Roman Empire to produce Bibles. And so even though Diocletian gave it all he had, he couldn't do what he actually boasted about doing. During the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church forbid people to have a copy of the Bible, and people were told to turn their Bibles in to the local bishop, and countless amount of Bibles were burned. The heirs of Alexander the Great ordered all copies of the Bible to be destroyed. Anyone caught not turning in the Bible was put to death. In England in the 1400s, having a copy of the Bible was punishable by death. Read the stories of persecution by men like John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, who dedicated parts of their lives to translating the Bible and what that got them. One of my favorite stories, and some of you are familiar with this, still is about the 18th century French philosopher and writer Voltaire, who was antagonistic toward the Bible and the Christian faith. In 1764, he wrote this. He said, The Bible, that is, what fools have written, what imbeciles commend, what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. Um, So he had no high view of Scripture. He proudly and regularly declared that the Bible would cease to exist within 100 years of his lifetime, back in the 1700s. Well, he died in 1778. And here's the kicker. The home that he bought and lived in, in Geneva, Switzerland, for a season, 58 years later, ended up being used by the Geneva Bible Society to store Bibles and gospel tracts. And the home that he lived the last 18 years of his life in, in Fernay, France, 16 years later was occupied by another Bible society who used the very printing press that Voltaire used to produce Bibles and store Bibles and tracts. If you ever attempted to think that God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? But even today, according to the work of the Voice of the Martyrs, there are still 52 countries that the Bibles are either illegal to own or they're difficult or dangerous to obtain, or they're highly restricted. There are still places today that if you own a Bible, smuggle in a Bible, read the Bible, um, produce a Bible, translate a Bible, it can cost you your life. Still today. Why all the effort to destroy and discredit the Bible? Ever ask yourself that? No one's doing that with any other book. Why has humanity for centuries made so much effort to destroy the Bible, because there's something about it. It's divine, it's supernatural, it's significant. And the prideful, 
heart of humanity doesn't want God to rule our hearts and lives, so we have to get rid of his word so we're not accountable to him. But despite the vast attempts to destroy and discredit the Bible for generations, it's still here. The enemies of the Bible come and go, but the Bible remains. When we hold the Bible, we hold a supernaturally protected and preserved book. It's indestructible. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand, what's the next word? Forever. 1 Peter 1, 24, 25, For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If this book was not of God, it would have not lasted like it has. It would have been destroyed a long time ago. But all the kings, all the emperors, all the religious leaders, all the national leaders, all the secular scholars that have attempted to eradicate the Bible are gone. But the Bible is still here. And wider than ever. It's loved by millions, read by millions, studied by millions, bought by millions, passed on by the millions. In addition to the millions of copies of Bibles sold and dispersed each year, to date, the digital Bible app Uversion has been downloaded over 650 million times, has 3,000 Bible versions offered in 2,000 languages for free. Harry Rimmer said this. He said, men have died on the gallows for reading it, have been burned at the stake for owning it. Tortures too fiendish to describe have been visited upon delicate women and tender children for looking on its pages. Yet, in spite of the strongest forces that hell could unleash and the face of the animosity of tyrants and despots, there are more Bibles in the earth today than there are copies of any other book ever written by the hand of man. We're reminded of the words of Jesus, captured in Matthew 5.18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law till all is accomplished. Matthew 24.25, uh, 24, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Bible is a supernatural survivor of every past, present, and future attack. It's been supernaturally preserved. Last insight I want to share with you today is this. The Bible has a supernatural effect. Reading the Bible is a profoundly supernatural experience and has a supernatural effect on us. Why do people even open the Bible in the first place? What are we looking for? Who are we looking for? We're looking for help. We're looking for hope. We're looking for guidance. We're looking for direction. And ultimately, a supernatural encounter with God. I was on the phone the other day with uh, a young man. He's got a beautiful family. He's uh, healthy, wealthy, successful, fit. He's influential. But in the last year, he's really felt the unfulfilled reality of having all the world has to offer, yet void of not having the Lord in his life, an emptiness. He's fairly new in his faith, but he's hungry to grow. And he's been reading the Bible. And he wants to grow in his understanding and submission to God's word in his life. And as, as he's been interacting with scripture, this is what he said to me. He says, I'm experiencing a joy I've never had in my life before. He's just reading the Bible. I'm trying to learn and grow and submit and obey. The Bible has had more impact on more people than any other book in history. Across all cultures, 
all countries, all languages, has transformed not only individuals, but villages and countries around the world. There is a degree of universal appeal and curiosity with the Bible. If you've never got a chance, I encourage you, you can look it online. If you ever see a video of an unreached people group or a people group that's never had the Bible in their language and they unbox the Bible for the first time in their own language, I've seen villages weeping, dancing for hours because they finally have a Bible in their own language. There's just this universal appeal. There's this universal curiosity about the word of God. It has a supernatural effect on people. But here's the kicker. We have to, and this is where a lot of people are struggling because going, I'm not, I'm not believing what you're saying. I'm not experiencing what you're talking about. Here's the kicker. We have to engage the Bible with belief and faith to experience the supernatural effect. Here's the instruction that we have. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, the natural person, right, the unbeliever, the one that looks at the things of God with no faith. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. They're foolish. You've probably had those experiences where you've had friends, coworkers, family just say, you're foolish for believing this. You're foolish for believing that. Well, the natural person thinks that the things of God are foolish and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. If I, if I grabbed any book off a shelf in a language you didn't know, I just got some book in like, you know, Afrikaans from South Africa and threw it down in front of you and said, read it and understand it. You're not going to know what you're reading. You'll make, a, you'll make an effort at it. Uh, years and years ago, I was in South Africa. That, that was the party trick. Um, my host family would have guests over for dinner and they would say, hey, Chad, come here. And they would give me Afrikaans and they said, would you read this? And I would read it in my, what I thought it was said and they'd just start laughing. They'd just rolling on the floor. I was just butchering it like crazy and it was just hilarious to them to hear me speak in the language because I didn't know what I was saying just trying to read it, you know? When, when we hand a Bible to someone who, who's not looking at the eyes of faith, that's kind of the effect. They, they, don't, they don't get what they're reading. It doesn't make sense. It seems foolish. And so it has to be spiritually discerned. Scripture is revelation. It's communication from God. The Lord is a supernatural being, and the Bible is a supernatural source. So unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and your ears, you can't really understand God's work. Ephesians 1, 16-19 says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And so once we come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit illuminates the eyes of our heart to accurately see and understand the scriptures and apply them to our lives. Another aspect of the Bible's supernatural effect as God's word is this. The recognition that the Bible is alive and it's active and it's transforming. Many of you are familiar with Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but here's, here's, a, here's a little bit of a reality check. We don't merely read God's word. God's word reads us. Where does conviction come? 
when you know that God is against something and you're doing that something and God through the power of his Holy Spirit and his word come and he reads you and goes, that's not of me. That's why you're struggling. That's why you're empty. That's where that conflict's coming from. That's the source of your pain. That's why you don't have peace. That's why you don't have joy. That's why you don't have hope. That's why you don't have strength. Because when you come to the Bible, God's word reads me and it reads you more than we read it. It has a supernatural effect when we get into God's word. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have, been, have spent time in God's word sometime in your life and all of a sudden conviction just came upon your heart? You're like, I am in the wrong place, doing the wrong time, the wrong thing. Absolutely. It has a supernatural effect. And so God uses his word to bring spiritual vision to the spiritually blind. He brings wisdom to fools. He brings light to darkness. He brings hope to the crushed. He, clarif- he brings clarity to the confused. He brings power to the weak and the supernatural to the natural. Because the Bible has a supernatural effect. The Bible. No book like it in circulation, ever. There's no book like it in its survival. There's no book like it in its influence and life-changing power. The Bible really is the Word of God. Or, it's the greatest hoax in human history that's deceived and given false hope to countless millions. There's really no middle ground, although people try to make a middle ground. So, all that to say this morning, we believe the Bible is the Word of God because of the supernatural evidence. And when we say that, we can look at the supernatural source of the Bible, the supernatural content of the Bible, the supernatural unity of the Bible, the supernatural preservation of the Bible, and the supernatural effect of the Bible. Have you let what God has said in his word have an effect on your life? Has it led you to Christ? Are you growing in Christ? Are you passionate about the mission of Christ to reach others who don't know? Here's a reflection question for you today. What supernatural effect have you seen the Bible have on you and others? That's your homework. In the next couple hours, as you hang out and have lunch or brunch or whatever, that would be a great conversation to have with your spouse, your kids, your parents, your family, your friends that heard what you heard today. What supernatural effect have you seen the Bible have on you and others? And here's a few application ideas and next steps for you. One, memorize the shape tool. Memorize that supernatural, historical, archaeological, prophetic eyewitness evidence and practice that. Just do it with your spouse, with your kids, someone today, tomorrow, the next few days. Just say something like, hey, I believe the Bible's word of God because of the supernatural, historical, archaeological, prophetic, and eyewitness evidence. Someone might go like, whoa, that's a lot. It's a lot better than, well, I just feel like it's true. Well, just, you know, God said it, so I believe it. It has more weight to it. Also, increase or guard your time in God's Word. Uh, We're in a Bible reading plan. If you're not part of that plan, you're welcome to join. You can jump on. There's passages every day you can read. You can just scan that QR code. There's hard copy booklets in the Resource Center. Just jump right in and get into God's Word. Also, if you want to read more on this type of uh, topic, there's a zillion books. Here's one I recommend, Why I Trust the Bible. It's, uh, there's information about that in the Resource Center. You can get on that as well. And if, if this is all new to you, by the way. If you're sitting here going, like, I, I don't know God like you're talking about. I don't have the faith you're talking about, but I'd love to know more. 
or I'm at a place in my life where I'm hungry, I'm kind of like that young man you talked about, like I, I need that, we'd love to talk to you. And so before you leave today, uh, find myself, some, we're gonna have prayer partners on the sides here. You can talk to them. You can go to the information center and just say, please tell me more about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. We'd love to tell you more about that. If you've gotta leave quickly, uh, there's a card right around you. You can just fill in that card, drop it in the box on the way out. We'll get in touch with you. But just remember, the Bible, it's, it's not a book with a lot of stories. It's a lot of stories that make up one. One narrative, and he's invited you into that story to experience him, to know him, to love him, to be loved by him. So you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for this morning. Even though we spent a pretty concentrated moment here talking about your word, it still falls so dramatically short understanding the power of your word. So God, I pray that you would take whatever I've said today, as you sift it through the power of the Holy Spirit, get rid of that which was an error or not helpful. Pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would allow something said about your word, a verse read from your word today to fall into fertile soil and produce fruit in all of our lives. Help us not to just believe and say we believe in your word, but be able to explain it a little better than we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all said together. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.